Hello and welcome to another weekly podcast from Hilltop United Methodist Church in Mankato, Minnesota. If you're in the Mankato area, join us every Sunday morning at 10.15 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to learn more, visit us at MankatoHilltop.org. Best of all, God is with us. We are in the midst of a sermon series looking at the five women who are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus, and we are now at week Five, the last one. In week one, we looked at Tamar, who carried on the line of Judah, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. In week two, we talked about Rahab, a prostitute who is one of the heroines of the Battle of Jericho. In week three, we looked at Ruth and how she was an enemy of the people and then was redeemed into the people and into the family of God. Last week, we looked at the story of Bathsheba, which involves King David, and tried to look at it through her eyes. And today, we're going to look at Jesus' own mother, Mary. Now, we spent a lot of time talking about Mary in the lead-up to Christmas. So all through Advent and times like that, or one of the times every year we look at Mary. And I preached on Mary during that time as well. But we don't have very much about Mary when she was older and how that played out. But I thought, in order to start today, I'd tell you about my mom just a little bit. Getting to know someone's mom tells you a little bit about who they are, doesn't it? Okay, here's my mom. Her name is Barb, and her maiden name is Taylor. Taylor's married into the Sipe family. And I don't know, she probably didn't know what she was getting into when she met my dad, these German farmers. Um, My mom grew up in Minnesota and spent a lot of time in Minnesota, moved around a little bit, but the bulk of her growing up years in Mound, and her dad was a carpenter and built the actual house that they lived in. They lived in Wisconsin for a time, but then came back as well. And My mom was a gracious presence in my life growing up. Boy, did she need to with three boys. Uh, Me being the oldest and maybe the most strongly willed of the three, I don't know. This actually is a picture of just last month when I surprised her on her birthday. So I had to be in the cities on the day of her birthday, and I called my dad and I said, hey, how about I come out to your place? I'm in Minneapolis. I'll just swoop over and say hi. She didn't know I was coming, so then she showed up and, oh, Matt, what are you doing here? (laughs) Which is always fun. If you've never done that to your mom, you better put it on your list. (laughs) I know not everyone has a great relationship with their mother. Um, Maybe for you, there's a challenging relationship there. And if you exclude my teenage years, I've had a great relationship with her. Um, I I guess that's probably true for most of us, isn't it? I think there's something very holy about the love that a mother has for her children. And I've seen it so often in ministry and and I've seen, even, even if you are someone who has not birthed a child yourself, you uh, still act as a mom in maybe like an auntie capacity or something like that. And that can be just as impactful and important. Dads, yeah, you have a role to play too. We're not going to get into that today. All the stuff I'm talking about today with women and what we've been talking about for the last few weeks doesn't take away from any of that. This is a different role. But love doesn't work in a limited fashion. It's exponential. So when we think we've exhausted uh, all the love there might be for something, it goes farther and beyond even what we thought was there. This is why, for me, 
I often think of God's love in a very mothering way. It helps me make sense of just how much God loves me. And I need to know that, especially on some hard days or particularly challenging days. And honestly, I can't think of a better sense of God's presence in the world, the incarnation, than carrying a baby in your womb. Now, obviously, I don't know what that's about. I've only heard stories. But for carrying a child in your womb and birthing that new life into the world, man, there's something holy there, isn't there? Just how that comes together. It's also one of the reasons why when we look at every child that was up here a moment ago and every child who's a part of the congregation and and every child who's not a part of this congregation frequently, anytime we're involved with young children, um, every little child, why they're so important to what we do here, how they're so wanted and hopefully they're known for certain and definitely loved so that they can experience that here. And maybe even especially if their childhood is challenging or they have a challenging parent or something like that. Now, I was touched by this just this week. And I'm going to share something with you. I was, I was gone this week on a retreat and I came back and on my desk was a note from one of the children in the congregation who was here on Wednesday night at church. And I just want to show this to you. I'm going to show off just a little bit here. Look at this. Isn't that special? I love getting notes like this. I have several on my door in my office. And if you want to melt Pastor Matt's heart, just hand him something like this. But, but even uh, this is even more special because on the back is a, is a note to me. Now, I don't often get very many notes from people, especially a five-year-old child. And uh, this came from Arabelle Bloomquist. She's a five-year-old in kindergarten. She comes to church here, Blake and Shauna's little girl. And uh, she wrote it, uh, her mom wrote a translation for me in case I, I couldn't read it quite. So, For Pastor Matt, thank you for being so kind to me and the other people and to my brother Asher. Isn't that what church is about right there? Isn't that get to the heart of love in this world and God's love for us? Man, I don't care what else we do in church the rest of this week. That's the point. That's the point. And here a little five-year-old girl gets it in a way that some of us still struggle with. So to me, I can't help but think that this is what God's love is looks like when it talks about the Father's love for us, this is the kind of love he's talking about. Even though it's used in male language, I really believe it's kind of like that mothering love we can experience. For someone to know that they're seen, they're known, they're loved by a greater love than they can ever experience by any one person or any one relationship, that's what God's love is. It goes deeper than that. And every moment of love I've experienced in this world is just a fraction, just a fraction of what the love God has for each and every one of us. Okay, so now, with that in mind, we need to read some scripture. But I wanted to share this first 
to get our hearts in the right place to try to understand the perspective I'm going to read of Jesus' mom. We're going to read a scripture from the beginning of the Gospel of John where Jesus shows up. It's the very first miracle recorded in the Bible. He turns water into wine, and they show up at a wedding. Now, here is an adult mom hanging out with her adult son and all of his buddies at a wedding, And I got to imagine in her heart, she's holding all that love, remembering all the different things about growing, Jesus growing up. Leading up to this, there have been many years of Mary raising Jesus, getting to know him, understanding his temperaments. Parents, you all understand the temperaments of your kids, don't you? Right? Knowing what his favorite meals are. Maybe there was some teenage push and pull just a little bit between mother and son. That happens. Maybe with Jesus, too. And you can maybe pick up on Mary's understanding of her son in this scripture reading. So this is often called the first uh, miracle in the Bible. And with the lens of Jesus' mother, Mary, let's look at it. Here we go. John, second chapter, starting in verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water had become wine and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of Holy Scripture. Isn't it interesting that nobody looked for Jesus until the wine was gone? I mean, he's just kind of blending in there, hanging out at this, uh, at this wedding, having a good time. And then all of a sudden, the wine gives out, and it's like, hey, where'd that guy go? Where's he again? Where's Jesus? It's just a regular old wedding feast. Jesus and his buddies enjoying week-long festivities. Weddings lasted for uh, more than a week. It was more than just a moment or more than just one night, but an extended time of celebration in the ancient world. And as long as everyone was dancing, enjoying food, there was wine to drink, all of it was just a normal celebration. No one seeking Jesus. And is this really so different than our lives today? Usually, when we read the other Gospels, people are flocking to Jesus. They're, you know, there's, there's the lame are coming to him, and the crowds are gathering around him, and he's, he's preaching to all these people, and he's healing them. And the Gospel of John doesn't start with any of that. doesn't start with any of that. In essence, it's just a regular old day in the neighborhood. And why would I be thinking about Jesus as I go about my regular old day? 
I mean, that happens to us a lot too, doesn't it? We get busy with work. We get busy with everything. And the mundane things of life, we're going along. Everything's fine. It's like, why would I be thinking Jesus is with me? See, his presence is here with us each and every day. He's always with us. But it can be easy to miss him when I'm just caught up in my regular day activities. I've got deadlines to meet. I've got meetings to attend. I've got all of this stuff going on in my life. We can just kind of like busy ourselves right out of Jesus, not even remembering that he's here presence with us. But of course, we quickly turn to him when things go wrong. When we get that difficult phone call, or when the finances run out, or when life isn't going to plan, often we come running to him. And where is he? He's been there the whole time. He's been walking with us through the thick and the thin. Now we tend to wait till the thin times to turn to Jesus, and that's exactly what happens in this story. Chances are we've all experienced some moment when the wine ran out. But here's the important part of this story. It's not a story about being empty. It's not a story about being depleted. It's not even a story about running out, even though all that happens. It's a story about being filled. It's a story about being filled, how Jesus uses this story to fill us. Mary, she's not even named in the text. We know her name only because of the other Gospels. It just says Jesus' mother here. We know, and because she knows her son, and she knows that something is different with him, because of the promise of angel Gabriel to her when she conceived, because of his saving presence in the world that she had experienced on the night he was born, on the weeks and months and years after he was born, when he was a young child in the temple in Jerusalem, she knew his saving work and where he had come from. And she knows exactly who can help fill up this situation. Now, if this is truly the first miracle that Jesus performs in the Bible, and as an adult person, then all of his buddies, all the disciples, all the people there must be thinking, who is this guy? We know that they're kind of thinking this because at the end of the text, it talks about this is how the disciples came to believe in him. But Mary doesn't concern herself with that at all. She knows who he is. She's not concerned with what? What will happen? She's not concerned about when it will happen. She's not concerned where it will happen. She's not even concerned how it will happen. She knows who will make it happen. The what, the when, the where, the how, we get stuck on that all the time. Mary doesn't even bother with it because she knows who can do something about it. See, when the wine gives out, she knows where to turn. She knows exactly who to turn. And why should Mary care? Why, why does she care that the wine is gone, it's a celebration? Maybe I should just go home. Maybe that's some sort of... Uh, social disgrace upon the host, but why would Mary care about this? Maybe she's thinking about an old proverb in the Bible. Let me show it to you here. Proverbs 31, verses 6 and 7. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing, and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty, and remember their misery no more. 
Of course, there can be too much of a good thing, and alcoholism is a real issue. But Jesus himself, he drank wine. He certainly celebrated with his disciples, especially at that last supper that night in the upper room, where there were four glasses of wine and a loaf of bread. And while we use grape juice here at Hilltop United Methodist Church as a way to counteract some of our modern problems surrounding alcoholism, wine itself is often seen as something good-natured for the soul, good for the spirit, uplifting to the spirits. And of course, we can have too much of a good thing. But I wonder if Mary knows, hey, you know, we need a little spirit lifting in this moment, especially at this great wedding celebration where things that are used to gladden the heart like a cup of wine, lift people's spirits. And Mary knows that there's something even more important about lifting spirits. Not only what will happen or when it will happen or how it will happen, but who will lift the spirits. It's a foreshadowing of grace, a foreshadowing of Jesus' grace moving in our hearts. When the mood is dour and the wine has run out, she turns to the one she knows who can make a difference in this situation to find a more filling and a more fulfilling meaning to life than just this wedding celebration. Now, there might be some tension in this interaction between Jesus and his mother. It's not very clear in the text, but... Uh, He's not chastising her or anything like that, but he doesn't call her mama either. He calls her woman. It kind of gives a little bit of distance between him and his mom. Then she says a prophetic word that should echo in our ears all these many years later. You probably missed it when she said it before, but the words from the mouth of Mary here are very prophetic for us today. And if there's one thing we need to take away from it, it's this. It's what she says. What does she say? His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever Jesus says. There is no more simple way to put the gospel than that. What it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow Jesus. Do whatever Jesus says. How do we know what Jesus says? The Gospels are filled with everything he says, everything he has done. And our goal in life as we leave here is to put those words into action. She's not concerned with the outcome of this wedding or the wine. She knows, and we we know this now, that there's a miracle about to take place. And boy, if we want to see a miracle take place in our life, we can't be concerned about what's going to happen or how it's going to happen or where it's going to happen or even when it's going to happen. Might not even happen in our lifetime. But if we focus on who will make it happen, then it will happen. And that who is Jesus. See, here's an example of how this works. He's the Prince of Peace. And I don't know about you, but I would really like peace in our world. I really would. And we often get stuck on when will this happen or how can we make this happen when all we need to do is focus on who will make it happen. Jesus. He's the Prince of Peace. And if we turn and follow him, if we do what he says, meaning uh, we, we, we are going to follow every, uh, all of his teachings, then peace would be achieved. Maybe not. Maybe I wouldn't know when. Maybe I wouldn't know where, 
Maybe I wouldn't even know how, but who would help me understand how to achieve peace by focusing in on him. Not by what we do, not in our works, but by him working in us. See, his grace is sufficient for any of life's challenges. This also works for any stubborn family members. You guys got any of those stubborn family members? You ever hang out with those folks and it's like, whew. How does Jesus help with that? Well, we might be stuck on where we might see those people or when we will see them next or how we're going to avoid seeing them next rather than focusing on who is going to help us through that. Because Jesus looks at that stubborn family member. You know what he says? He says, I love them. Even more than their mother loves them. And they are a beautiful child of God. Yeah, maybe they've messed up, but haven't we all messed up? I've taken care of their sin. I've taken care of your sin. I've taken care of all of the world's sins on the cross. See, the who is the most important for the challenges of life that seem to throw us off. This is such a different message than we get in the world. The world is not grace-filled. The world is not grace-filled at all by nature. We get stuck on all these other things. It's usually the exact opposite of Jesus. It'd be something like this. Here are Nancy's 10 best ways to overcome that boring wedding you're stuck at when the wine runs out. Let me give you a few. Post real-time social media updates. Play Pokemon Go on your phone. Head over to the bar and hijack the bar for a minute. Get out on the dance floor and bust a move. Watch Game of Thrones or Netflix on your phone while everybody else... I'm just here. I'm bored, right? Did you notice that when this happened in the, in the thing, Jesus, Mary doesn't instruct Jesus. Not at all. We like to do that. Hey, I'll tell you what's wrong. I'll give you my opinion. Here's five reasons why you need to do this differently. Rather than letting grace pave the way. Mary doesn't instruct Jesus. Here, it's almost like Jesus knows exactly what to do, and she knows he knows exactly what to do. So she leaves that in his ball in his court, the ball in his court. She simply knows how to point to grace and say, let's follow that. Point to him and say, he will do something about this. This is so easy to say and so hard to follow through in our own lives. Yet Mary could see it very easily. Probably because she was his mom and knew him better than anyone else. She could see grace right there in Jesus And while the text doesn't say it, I imagine she was giving her son that proud mama face. You know that proud mama face? As this is playing out, after he makes this act of turning water into wine. And throughout each of these women's stories that we've been looking at in the lineage of Jesus, we've seen how each of them have pointed to God's great grand redemption narrative all throughout the Bible. Each of them have pointed us back to a moment of grace in the world. Whether that's Tamar, who finds herself in a difficult situation and is able to carry on the line of Judah. Whether that's Rahab, a prostitute, who is now used by God in her station, in her situation. Whether that's Ruth, as an enemy of the people, who is now welcomed back into the fold. Whether that's Bathsheba, and all of the sins that had been done to her. And now Mary who births love into this world 
and knew in whom to trust. All of these five women, for me, have helped to deepen our understanding of the gospel and have shown us whom to trust. May we simply do whatever he says. Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to another podcast from Hilltop United Methodist Church in Mankato, Minnesota. Don't forget to visit us online at MankatoHilltop.org.